Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Jason Cowley, editor of the New Statesman. Welcome to our weekly podcast. We're going to be talking about the Labour leadership today. With me is Stephen Bush, editor of the Staggered Blog, a rising star of political journalism. And with me too, I think for the first time, is Stephen Brescia, a long-standing member of the staff. We we call Stephen our in-house Labour historian. So you're here to tell us a little bit about the party's past and make some interesting comparisons. Stephen Bush, you wrote a, a widely noticed blog this week in which you declared that you thought Jeremy Corbyn would actually become the next leader of the Labour Party. Were you serious? Yeah, I, so I, um, as well as tracking the constituency nominations, I then will phone up various party chairs who are informing me of things, and I said, yeah, well, what, what's going on? What type of people are at this meeting? And the thing I was immediately struck by is that it's partly new members who come in who are backing Corbyn, old members who've always backed that bit of politics. But what I found striking is that they were all reporting the same thing, which is people who said, oh, I'm backing David Miliband, I don't agree with his politics, but I think he'll win, were now saying either Scotland has changed what I think it takes to be a winner, or were saying, I don't think the other three can win, so I'm voting with my heart this time. And I just think, you look at the polls, you look at the numbers, it just feels to me like he's going to get the 51% of the vote he needs. I think the welfare bill has sort of changed the leadership race. But how's it, how's it come to this, Stephen? He, he, he just got um, the 35 nominations from MPs that got him into the, the final contest. He began as a 100-to-1 outsider. Many consider him an unreconstructed Benite. I mean, how has it come to this that he could be the next leader of the Labour Party? Well, the thing is, the Parliamentary Party is always a lagging indicator. The Parliamentary Party was more Blairite at the end of Tony Blair's tenure than it was at the start when the membership was much more into him than his, his colleagues were, it was more brown-eyed. And, and, yeah, basically, I think the, the membership moves towards the leader uh, and in some cases becomes more radical, you know, either more Blairite or more left-wing or more Millibandite than the leader. And the parliamentary party, by definition, doesn't change by as much because you get smaller intakes. Um, so I think... Because what's interesting is, for the first time, you have a situation where most non-CLPs are not nominating the same person as their MP. So I think it's more than what's happened is MPs haven't noticed this big shift in the mood of the membership. But we'll probably start to see that working itself out as MPs stand down. What about the new rules under which the uh, leader is being selected? 
it has, has by making those reforms, has Ed Miliband and the party, has it opened Labour up to potentially manipulation from outside, from entryism from the far left? Because I understand that you only have to pay £3 and you have a vote as a supporter, rather than as a full member. Yeah, although the, the overwhelming majority of the new voters are full pay, fully paid up members. Um, so the registered supporters scheme where you pay up three quid and then you can vote, it, it does leave you open to entryism, but to be honest, in the 80s, because Labour's structures themselves were fairly undemocratic, it was quite easy for an entryist group to take a lot of control because you didn't, you didn't need as many numbers. Whereas now, if you take, say, the membership of the Communist Party of Great Britain, that's still only 4% of the, the voting Labour electorate. It, that is, is much more difficult to organise and get the leader you want. And that doesn't seem to be what's happening. Most of the £3 supporters are people who are genuinely enthused. Some of them are members of other parties, but some of the people who are leaving other parties. Yeah, it, I don't think it's about uh, the entry. It is just that now every member's vote counts for exactly the same thing. MPs can't control the outcome which means you don't have a favoured candidate in the same way. Yeah. I, I spent some time with um, Jeremy Corbyn last week. I interviewed him and uh, my pieces in this week's magazine. I think we've already put it online as well. Um, you know, what I got, he was, he was personable. He has strident opinions, but they're not articulated stridently. Um, he knows what he knows. He's very confident in his positions. He's held them for many decades, but they're quite extreme. Or I would say they're very extreme. Um, withdrawal from NATO. Um, strong state-based socialist positions, unilaterally disarm, in other words, get rid of the British nuclear deterrent. He issued a statement this week saying he's in favour of the European Union, but he gave me strong impressions that he was for Brexit. I mean, here's a man from the radical left of the party. Does Labour seriously think this guy could lead them into the next general election and win? And win? Well, I think there are, there are two sort of factors. One, I think it's important not to understate this, there is a feeling within the Labour Party that none of the candidates on offer can lead them into the next yes, election yes. and win. If you're a member of the Parliamentary Party with a, a seat in Birmingham which might go blue under Corbyn, backing Yvette or Andy because you'll give, they'll give you a job with the word shadow in the title is a big calculation for you. However, if you're a member in Birmingham, backing Andy, backing Corbyn because he'll lose, you might lose the seat but you'll be proud of the campaign, that is less of a, of a factor I think. And yeah, and secondly, Scotland, I don't think the SNP can be seen as a party to the left of, uh, of Labour. But yeah, they, they position themselves as being to the left of Labour. Um, and I think that has opened up the idea that now you win by being on the radical left and you cannot win on the centre left. But, but um, Scotland's in the grip of a, a kind of nationalist fervour. Um, you couldn't say the same, the conditions are the same in south and southeast of England. I'm going to move to briefly to Stephen Brasher, our in-house Labour historian. Stephen, um, Ed Miliband moved the party to the left, Michael Fort was a radical left leader, um, Kinnock came from the left of the party. Has Labour had a, a strong left-wing leader before? Um, who, who would you draw comparisons with if, if Corbyn becomes leader, going back, say, to the 30s? Um, I don't think there's an exact comparison, but obviously when George Lansbury became leader, he was perceived to be, to a certain extent, to the left of the Parliamentary Labour Party, particularly because of his emphasis on peace, and he was an absolute pacifist. And uh, when he took over in 1931, he only took over, of course, because pretty much everybody else in the Parliamentary Labour Party with any experience had actually lost their seat. Uh, and he led the party for four years, and during that time, they actually had a reasonable amount of success, but that was because pacifism had actually become, of course, quite popular. Nobody really wanted another war. 
However, by 1935, of course, it was quite obvious to anyone who was looking at the scene in Europe that that wasn't a tenable position, and he was essentially forced out by the trade unions. Michael Foote became leader, essentially, because he wasn't Tony Benn. I mean, he was, by that point, seen almost as a responsible statesman. <laughs> Um, you know, he wasn't in, in essence a, the left-wing candidate. He was Although the 1983 manifesto, famous suicide note. I mean, that that was an extreme manifesto. I mean, comparable to um, what what Corbyn would, would wish to offer today. I, isn't it? I think the 1983 manifesto is interesting because, of course, some of the things in it now have become quite mainstream, and it's just be, I think partially because of the obvious suicide notice. Well, I, I think that you know, making peace in Northern Ireland yeah. and actually having. Um, rights for people at work and uh, equal equal the rights or uh, legislation that yeah. the last Labour government passed. These things are actually in there, and at the time they seemed very extreme um, because they were sort of you know looking to a new sort of politics. But they aren't now. One of the problems with it was that it was so long, apart from anything else, that it wasn't a really a statement of reaching out to the electorate in the way that people do it now in you know soundbites and pledges. It was sort of please read a telephone directory and. You know, this, this just seemed that the party was completely out of touch with the reality of winning an election and of the electorate as it, as it then was, really. In the late 70s and the early 80s, when Labour was so bitterly divided um, and, and Ben came close to, uh, say, leading the party, but certainly the deputy leader of the party, do you, do you think... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Think um, Labour, if Corbyn wins, could split in the way it, it split in the early, early 80s and you had the moderates breaking away to form the SDP? Uh, I don't think so because. That's already been done and people saw how that went. And if we were in a, a system that had proportional representation, there would be every incentive to do so because any party, you know, if you set the threshold of 5%, could do so. So in lots of European countries, you have several Liberal parties, several Social Democratic parties, several Green parties. Any party that splits away from uh, the Labour Party at the moment would take no trade unions or trade unions with them, which wasn't the case in the 80s. The moderate trade, a lot of moderate trade union leaders went with them. There'd be no under first past the post. There's nowhere. There'd be nowhere to go apart from well losing. Really, you know. I mean, I could understand the impulse to a certain extent, but I think most of those people would be sensible enough to bide their time and start planning. Start and, planning. Yeah. Lansbury resigned in what 1935. Yeah. Replaced by Attlee. Yeah. What What led to to Lansbury stepping down? Well, uh, Lansbury essentially made a speech at the Labour Party conference um, which, in which he was opposed essentially to foreign intervention and didn't really want to uh, condemn Italian intervention in Ethiopia and essentially was sort of saying that we should still vote against the defence estimates and that if anything we should actually abandon all conventional weapons and Ernest Bevan got up and said famously that he was alarmed by the spectacle of the Honourable Gentleman hawking his conscience around from room to room asking what he should do with it um, and made the point that of course if uh, Hitler had his way the people in the trade unions and the Labour Party would be the first people up against the wall. Um, Lansbury also gave the impression in a sort of Lloyd George world that you know we could have a nice chat with him and it would all be fine and George Lansbury was very much loved in the Labour Party. There was nobody really that actually disliked him but even those people who liked him at that point thought well, you know, we can't really go on like this for both domestic political reasons and wider political reasons. 
Um, so he, he said he resigned himself, he, he realised the writing was on the wall, he wasn't actually forced out in that sense. After he becomes leader, um, becomes deputy, um, ultimately to Churchill during the wartime coalition and then prime minister in the famous 1945 government in which Bevin, who you mentioned earlier, Bevin becomes foreign secretary. Stephen, um, just to wrap up, is Labour in the grip of mass psychosis? What's going on here? I think it's more a sort of mass fatalism, really. There's uh, very few people uh, who are supporting Corbyn think that Corbyn is going to win the next election. There's a hard core of true believers who've always been there who do. The, I think the, uh, the rest think that they're going to lose anyway and are um, effectively going, well, you know, we might as well. Um, it's sort of the kind of like, of, oh, well, I'm getting fat anyway, why not have an extra piece of cake? I think one of the, the other interesting things about Corbyn is, say, if you compare him to other people from the left who've run, is that nobody actually hates him. And again, it's like people love Lansbury, but nobody dislikes Corbyn. He's not a dislikable person. Some of the people who have been up in have had a lot, an awful lot of enemies, or even people on the left have said, you must be joking. But, you know, Jeremy Corbyn is, is a likeable fellow. You know, he's not made any enemies in the PLP particularly. Um, he's a London Labour MP, assiduous in his constituency. And so, you know, he has a slight, he has a different profile to some of the other people. That's interested me, actually, uh, talking to people indeed meeting here, but he, he's actually not disliked in the way that, say, Ken Livingstone is, or George Galloway is, despite some of his very radical positions in the 80s in particular, when he brought Gerry Adams and Martin McGuinness to Westminster not long after the Brighton bomb, which, which attempted to murder the, the British government at the time. He would say, look, you've got to talk to terrorists. You open up channels of, of, of communication with them. He argues the same with Hamas and Hezbollah, but so does Jonathan Powell, um, Tony Blair's former chief of staff. Stephen, let's, let's, let's stay with your hypothesis and um, Corbyn wins. Will he be brought down from within the party within a couple of years, we'll have another leadership contest, say in 2018, in which maybe Chukwuemuna will run, Dan Jarvis will be ready to run. There's some talk of David Miliband coming back to run. What, what, what do you think is likely to happen? Is in, in some ways, journalists ought not to be in the prediction game, but I'm, I'm going to force you to try and tell us what's going to happen. Uh, I think that, yeah, that there won't be an immediate attempt to bring him down. I think people realise that would be madness, and that way sort of lies the destruction of the Labour Party. I think there will be an attitude of letting him, um, uh, letting him sort of, giving him enough rope to hang himself, as it were. There are three elections for the Labour Party. The Welsh elections, where their hold on power is fairly precarious. Um, the London elections, where you would assume that Tessa's profile is big Tessa enough. Jowell, you mean? Yeah, is, is you assume she's going to win the Assuming nomination. Tessa gets a nomination, you'd assume that Tessa Jowell's profile is big enough to sort of outpace any national popular unpopularity for Labour, although, you know, who knows. And then Scotland, where, you know, again... In 2016? Yeah, they are facing a, another, another complete wipeout. Um, and so you kind of imagine at that point, if things don't appear to be improving, if the locals are bad, there might be moves against him then. My instinct will be given until 2017. Uh, one, just before I bring um, Stephen Brasher in to wrap up, you said he'd be given to 2017, but he spent his whole career rebelling against um, his own leadership and defying the party whip. How can he then expect to command the loyalty of his colleagues? Well, because he will have won a legitimate leadership election victory. I mean, I think this thing is just like, if, if you win, if you have a massive first round lead and then you win in the second round, and I think it will do both of those things, it's very difficult for a membership party to 
to turn around and go, uh, for the MP to turn around and go, no, you got it wrong, try again. Part of what, what happens if you go, you got it wrong, try again, and they re-elect Jeremy Corbyn? Okay, Stephen, Stephen Rush to wrap up. Yeah, I think that there's, well, there's one interesting thing you said about uh, Corbyn and his attitude to the IRA. One of the reasons that was so controversial was obviously the timing, but also at that time that the IRA hadn't accepted essentially power sharing and hadn't accepted a democratic government in Northern Ireland. They were moving towards that, and you know Adams and McGuinness were doing that behind the scenes, but it wasn't obvious to anybody at that time that they were doing anything than what they'd always done. And of course, I, I, in terms of people, uh, parliamentary parties bringing down their leader quite soon, the most obvious example in recent times is the Lib Dems bringing down Min Campbell, mm. who won an election and his colleagues essentially ganged up on him after a year, I think it was, or probably only about 13 yes. months, and said, you're actually not cutting the mustard. But there, he's a different, very different personality, yes. and it was his performances in the Commons that uh, different. It'd be very interesting to see how, what a performer, sort of a performer of Prime Minister's questions Corbyn would make. Uh, because he does know his stuff, but whether he would be combative or whether he would be equally disastrous in a different way, it would be interesting to see. Yeah, right. it, 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 it's extremely interesting and, and great for um, political journalism. Um, your, your, your line about IRA was interesting, also it applies with Hamas and Hezbollah, I guess, because neither, neither of these terrorist organisations have recognised Israel's right to exist, of course. No, until such time as they do. But on the other hand, they're now threatened themselves, obviously, from what you might say can't say further left, but from further extreme position, and indeed Hamas are particularly threatened by ISIS in, ISIS in the Gaza Strip, yeah, and yeah. at some point people within that organisation, you would presume, as they have been in Fatah, will say, well, we need, to, we need to do a deal. Well, we'll have you back when we talk about ISIS next. Um, it's great to have you making your debut on the podcast, Stephen Brescia, the in-house historian of the New Statesman, and as ever, Stephen Bush, thank you very much. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.